heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, of course, and I've got to have the pleasure of having Ashley Connell on the line. Ashley, are you there? Yes, pumped to be here. Awesome. So glad to have you here. I know we were chatting a little bit before we got on. You're in Austin, Texas, getting roasted right now. How's that going for your winter summer in, in Texas? Quite the bummer. I got out all of my winter clothes and I am putting them all back in a bit a month. So... I was like, we've been here in Florida and like Florida, like it's the first time I mentioned we traveled. It was the first time we in Florida for the winter. We're like, oh, we're going to stay in Florida for the winter. And then we did a 30 year cold or whatever. And then our pipes froze over Christmas. Like, and I had to pull out all of our winter clothes for like a week and a half. And now it's back to being sunny and warm and beautiful. But for Christmas, we actually got a cold Christmas in Florida. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? Yeah. And I was informed by some of our local Floridian friends. We stayed too far north in Florida. Winter actually sometimes will make it all the way down to Orlando. So you have to be like south of the Orlando-Tampa line for you to escape winter. I was like, oh, we were just north of the Florida-Tampa line. So we didn't know that. And I was like, I thought it was just all of Florida. But, you know, things you learn. Hey, Richard, next year. There's always next, next year. Always next year. Next year, we'll book the keys for Christmas and just stay out now of Now we're talking. Like, just want one whole Christmas where no cold happens. I don't have to put on pants or a long sleeve shirt or a jacket. <laughs> None of those things. <laughs> oh gosh, I love this. Love this. Yeah, me too. I think it's good. So before we get too far into this, I want to take just a brief moment to introduce you to our audience. And so just I'm going to go over your bio real quick and then we'll dive into your story. So Ashley is the CEO and founder of The Prowess Project. And you're one part fearless entrepreneur, one part fearless woman's advocate landing your thought leadership pieces in Forbes, and you spent the first 15 of your, your career as an award-winning tech marketer in both Austin and London, which is cool, and an unstoppable drive to have both career and time for your family, which motivated you to start Prowess. So before we get too far, why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about what is it that you're known for now? Like, who do you serve? What do you do for it? Yes, so we match up visionaries, so entrepreneurs who started a business because they had a craft that they love, whether you're an accountant and you love accounting, you may not want to run the rest of the business. So we match those visionaries up with integrators. So the people who will take all of that strategy and make it happen and who makes stuff happen better than a stay-at-home mom or a woman who was educated, experienced, took time off the workforce, raising children, taking care of her parents, and wants to tiptoe back in in a flexible way. So that's what we do. We match up women who want flexible work with entrepreneurs who desperately need it. I have to say, I know we talked about this a little before we got on. Freaking love that. Love it. For a couple of reasons. 
So I am that entrepreneur, right? The visionary entrepreneur. We run a yeah. podcast functioning. And that's like, that's what we do. And I have to tell you, like I have personally, my podcast has over 250 episodes we've recorded and we've recorded over a thousand wow. episodes for our, our more than a thousand for our clients. I haven't touched a single one of the episodes after the stop record button in several years. And it is because of, it's because yeah. of the integrators, it's because of the people that you're talking about. And I have over the course of that time discovered that my absolute favorite people in the world to hire are stay-at-home moms. They are just freaking best. One. They are the best. And I could get into it for so many reasons of why they're the best, but they're so efficient. And they have that emotional intelligence to interact with all sorts of different types of people, which is so, so, so huge in business and oftentimes overthought or overlooked, I should say. And it's like for whatever reason, I know this is a hot button political issue to talk about men and women in the workplace, but it's like the best workplaces understand the superpowers that women bring and the superpowers that men bring, right? Like this kind of thing. And when you recognize that the running of a family and raising children and taking care of your parents, all those things that you mentioned, those give women a certain set of superpowers and the ability to connect and integrate and get things done that is just unparalleled is my is the word I'm going to go with. It's unparalleled. And I like nothing more than that. And then also like one of my like core beliefs is that women are central important aspect like in the having children and raising children shouldn't exclude them from being able to have a career and it shouldn't I don't know what you would call that. They have so much value to bring on both of those sides, both in the workplace and home. And so we work with, I personally, we try to hire stay-at-home moms regularly because of that reason. Hey, you can both do your best work at home by raising your children and taking care of your family and contribute to the financial pocketbook of your family and contribute to the companies that you work for and the value that they bring. Anyways, I love it. It's my whole point. Richard, like I am going to take this recording and probably put it on the front of my website and you are going to be doing my sales calls from now on because exactly, that is exactly what we are trying to share with the rest of the world. Like we had this untapped talent market who we vet and we certified to make sure that they do what they say they can do and match them up with, like I said, entrepreneurs who are banging their head up against the wall because they're trying to do it all when it's not their zone of genius of trying to do all the details and making stuff happen and being operational. That's not mine. I'm definitely a visionary. So let's let everyone play where they want to play and everyone's happy, right? Yeah. I have to say one of my most recent, she'll probably listen to this episode at some point. Hopefully she appreciates it. I love her to pieces. And I remember when we had our interview call and I was like, I was like listen, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for someone who can make these things happen and communicate with customers and communicate yeah. in this way. And I just can't because I have too much on my plate. And I was like, and I have no, I have like, I give like zero shits about how you make it. Right. I was like, if you're taking your right. kids to dance class or in between meals or whatever you're doing, I don't care. I was like, as long as the work gets done, that's all I'm interested in. And so she was like, she'd be like, whatever kind of flexibility I want. I was like, listen, nine tenths of the stuff that I need you to do, you probably do from your phone. And I was like, I don't care if you do it from your phone or where you're doing it from, as long as the work gets done. That's all we're, all we're interested in. She's like, that sounds like perfect and i'm not the only entrepreneur like that not the only one there's exactly oh man this makes me so excited i was just talking to someone else the other day and they're like actually this is the future of work there are these entrepreneurs oh, yeah. who do not care butts and seats are long gone nine to five long gone it's just not sustainable 
And it doesn't fit for everyone in the workforce. And so I really think this idea of flexibility and work from your phone and work when you can, as long as, to your point, the output is there, if not exceeded, then, hey, let's do this. And I'm in the process now of trying to figure out how can we adjust pay so it's not hourly, that it's more output driven. So we're looking at trying to figure out like, hey, how can we make it fair so that it's like pay per client thing that you've got this set of here's your client roster and these are the things that go with that these things every week you get to pay for those and it's fair and interesting i haven't we haven't figured that out yet that's like one of the things we're working on because to your point a lot of the nine five you get paid for sitting in a chair for nine hours it's inefficient and it's family first which you know i'm a big proponent of family first entrepreneurship um absolutely so and that doesn't just include me as the entrepreneur that includes everyone on my staff and right. everyone that you know we work for that works for us is like, hey, we're when I tell people that it's like we're family first. And I tell people regularly, it's like the greatest gift you can give to this world is to raise up the next generation. Why would we get in front of that? I love that. Like, why would we tell women they have to choose? Well, exactly. So the way that this all got started, and I think this is a really good segue, is because here I was, and you mentioned it in the bio. I was in tech marketing for 15 years and worked with mostly men, or at least mostly men in leadership. And there were maybe one woman in there, maybe. But when I talked to her about, hey, like, do you have children? She'd say, no, I had to choose my career over children. And that just shocked me. At the time, it was 2018. And so I was like, is this just the companies that I was working or like, what's up with this? So hop online, found the Harvard Business Review statistic that If a woman is out of the workforce for just three years, specifically caregiving, specifically caregiving, she loses a total of 37% of her compensation power forever, forever. It's nearly half just cut. Yes. And this happens to 43% of educated, experienced women. So this is a massive problem. Massive problem. It's a problem on both sides too, because like, where, but like you've seen this happen in France and Japan, where the birth rates are dropped down to a point where it's like yep. getting to emergency status, where like France yep. and Japan both have hired in the government Ministry of Sex, where they're trying to encourage people to have children. Because, you know, historically, if birth rates drop below 1.8, society dies in a day. Wow. Like it's, I didn't know that statistic. Wow. It's crazy. And it's like we've got 2000 years of reported history where we have birth rate data. Every single time birth rate drops below one point, the society dies in a death, which is crazy. And so we're fighting this thing where we're saying women can't have, they're having to choose between family or work. And so they're losing their compensation power. And the result is that we have women choosing work over family and our birth rate is declining. So like United States birth rate is hovering right around that, just over one point, it's like 1.82 right now. And the only reason it's even staying over the 1.8 is because Hispanic population has a birth rate of like 3.2. So keeping our birth rate healthy is just the one subsegment of our population. And so we haven't quite reached emergency status like Japan and France have. But it's to your point, that problem, the thing that you're talking about is part of the contribution to that problem. And we need to fix it because children are an important part of our culture and raising up our society and keeping that. And we shouldn't be forcing women to choose between one or the other and cutting their ability to pay for their, you know, to feed their families. Exactly, exactly. And what hurts me the most about all of it is really it's a result of bias. 
it is this idea that when women are out of the workforce to be a full-time mom, they lose all of their experience, all of their knowledge, all of their know-how, blah, 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 blah. No, that's impossible. If anything, and data shows this, they gain so many traits. They gain better communication skills. They gain better emotional intelligence. They gain better empathy. They gain better time management. They gain better teamwork, team facilitation. It's proven time and time again, but we're not looking at it like that. And it's about time we really start. And so I love to see these forward-thinking entrepreneurs who can utilize these women who are completely untapped. And I'm talking, they have one or two degrees, have been in the workforce for 15 years, we're COOs and now want to help you with your business. Like we're not talking just a doer. We're talking a thought partner. We're talking people who are top of the line and are yeah. willing to come in and work for you and help you yeah. because of the flexibility <laughs> right. that you offer, because they understand their family first as well. Right. And so they're like, exactly. I'm okay. I'm okay with doing something different or something, something that's not like, I don't have to be a CEO of a company. Right. With all of my degrees, right. because my family is most important to me right now. And if I can fit a work schedule into it, that's what's most important to me now. And so we're looking at it, I think, incorrectly. We're just like, I can't hire this woman. She's too well qualified. Things like that. Or, right. And you're like, no, they want it. They want to add yep. something to their lives where they're contributing. Well, it's exactly you're exactly right. So we pulled all of the women in our community and we're asking them, what would make you say yes to a job? And first, not surprising, flexibility, right? Can't have butts and seats, can't have nine to five. Flexibility, check, got it. I thought for sure the second was going to be money. I thought for sure, like, oh, I'm going to contribute to my household. No, the second was impact. I want to be at a company exactly. where I am making an impact. And then number third was bringing in more money to help my family. The and, second and was generally... impact. And I asked them, oh, I asked them, like, why impact? And they're like, Ashley, if I'm going to be away from my kids and I'm never going to get this time back, I damn well better be doing something that is going to move the needle and is going to help significantly a company who needs me. And I love that message because my message here on the Hero Show is that entrepreneurs are heroes. We're making the world a better place. And that's really what most businesses are. Is they're striving to make the world a better place. So I love that. And my other thing that I think is important there is a lot of the women who have come home to their they generally are in a they're in a relationship where they've got a husband who's working, yeah. so they don't they don't need to pay their mortgage exactly, but they would love to be able to contribute financially. But it's not the number one or two. I love that it like it right. fits in number three because it really fits into the idea of a family first entrepreneurship. So I love that. And the other thing that I want to do just bring up before we get too far into the interview is my wife and I actually sat down and did this once because you were talking about skills mm -hmm. women have at home. Yes. And yes. we chose for our family, my wife is full time at home because we got four kids and we mm -hmm. travel and do all sorts of other things. We live a crazy lifestyle and it wouldn't make sense for her to work. So she runs the family. And I was like, we actually did math once on like, what would it cost us to, okay. if she died tomorrow, to replace all the things that she does in our household? And it's well, roughly about hundred to $600,000 a year in employees to are do the joking work. joking me? It's insane because so, we're talking. I mean, like, I'm not surprised by this, like, I, but I love that you actually like did my, the math. I wish yeah, we did the math. We actually have it written down because it was like any woman who is in modern society. She's for whatever reason, we have vilified stay-at-home mother, mother, which I think is but, so, dumb. so dumb. But so we vilified it. So she has that mental like load that she sure. has to deal with. So sure. we were just working on ways we can be like, hey, let's actually take a look at what your actually mean. <laughs> 
yeah. and like how they're actually relevant. And I was like, she does, for lack of a better term, she does mothering. But, you know, if we're talking about if she died tomorrow, what would I have to do in order to keep my business doing what we're doing? I'd have to hire child care. I'd have to hire yeah. cooks. I'd have to hire, you know, taking care of the home. Someone who can manage my finances. Someone who can do like, we went through all the things that she actually, the work output that goes into making our house function on a daily basis. So much so that I have the time and the ability to run two companies. Like yep. we have to partner that way. And I was, could not replace her. Hired employees for less than half a million dollars a year. Wow. And you know what is absolutely beautiful about that? Everything that you just described that your wife does, those are all transferable skills that an entrepreneur can use in their business point blank. Absolutely. 100%. And she's not the only woman who has them. Right. She's the only one with those skills. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think the whole idea of empathy and emotional intelligence, especially in the workplace, especially in a small business where like, I hate to say this, but you almost become a family more than you are a like in a work situation. And I know that there's problems with boundaries and all of that, but like you need empathy so, so much. And that's something that I see time and time again, that the women who are part of our talent pool provide to these entrepreneurs and they never thought it would be possible. They're like, she just gets me and she's three steps ahead of me, if not five steps ahead of me every single day. You'd love what one of my friends, the whole thing called God's Providence, where he's talking about women's actually, women's power and and Wait, I really, think we have the same friend. Do we? His name is Lucas. I think Ruth. so. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so you know Lucas. Lucas, yes, yes. So I'm actually getting on one of his friends tonight. My point is just that women have so much power to bring to the community, you know, to any of their communities that they're involved in. And like one of my favorite things that I've just recently started to see this is that you have the women who have exited the workforce because of like mm-hmm. aging parents and they're taking sure. care of their yep. And now they're in their, you know, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s, something like that, where they're, they don't necessarily even want to have a full-time job anymore. But no. No. they left sort of at the top of their careers where they are, you know, the best of the best in their space and they take care of their families. And then they're coming back and saying, hey, you know what, I would love you know, I don't want to not retire, but I also have something to do and be able to bring all of their skills to bear on someone like mine's business. You're like, like for real? <laughs> like you? It's a game changer. You'll bring your 40 years it, of business experience in to help me? Like for... <laughs> right. right. It's too good to be true. But it's like, it's this perfect marriage. I just saw these two problems in the workforce and I was like, this is... They each can be a solution to each other. And it has worked out so, so well over the past four years that we have been growing and nurturing this business. And I am so proud to say that we have helped over a thousand women find jobs and really changing their lives, which ultimately means we're changing the lives of a thousand entrepreneurs too. Ripple impact. So that was a really long, long introduction to this. But what I want to talk about is your origin story, right? We talk on this show all the time about... As a hero, right? Every good comic hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are. And I want to hear that story. Were you bit by a you know radioactive spider? That means you want to get into you know helping women in the workforce, or did you start a job and eventually move to become an entrepreneur? Basically, how did you get here? Such a good question, and I wish I had something very fun like bit by a spider. So I think where this all stems from is. 
my very first job out of college, really, I was an intern. They called me the guinea pig. So they would give me all of the projects and it was my job to figure out if they were going to sink or swim, like make them happen. And I would figure them out. I'd start them and say, is this viable? Yes. Pass them over to someone else who was going to maintain it or no, it wasn't fail. Let's fail fast, fail cheap. And so as I continued to do that, I was basically an entrepreneur in all of the different companies that I was at. So I started there. They then moved me over to London to open up their European office. I then came back and ran global marketing for another tech company, started a marketing agency where I quickly realized what it was to be a overwhelmed, lack of sleep entrepreneur, made every single, every single mistake in the book. And that's where I got this idea for Browse Project. That is wonderful. I love the story. I've been in a you know, so, similar sort of vein where most of mine was actually on the entrepreneurship, but I started a lot of things growing up. But what really stuck out to me and what relates to your story, when I was at a mastermind group, mastermind, you know, business owners who'd hit a certain income level. And yeah. what we were all asked to bring something to share to the group, something we had learned. And, you know, I got up and I shared all of my stuff group and they were like oh that's really cool we learned a lot from you blah 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 it was, it was really good from that aspect but at the end they put the mastermind together pulls me aside and he goes listen you're doing really good work but it was just me i was a solopreneur all by myself mm -hmm. he was like but you're your own worst enemy and i was like what do you mean he was like you need to hire someone to do yep. y and implementation things for you he's like because it'll unlock your business and he's like you need to do this and i looked at him and i was like i can't i don't know how to afford that person and he was trust me just I the bullet, hire someone full-time to do these things in your business. I was like, you're going to understand it until you do it. And you have the perspective shift. And I was like, nope, don't believe you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't, I, can't. I couldn't even see how it would happen. And I remember vacillating with that decision for three months, three months where I yep. was like, nope, I yep. can't afford to hire someone. I can't do it. I don't know how I would pay them. I don't know how it would function. And finally, I was just like, he told me just to do it anyways. And so I hired someone full time. Yep. And it was about two weeks into having hired someone where I was like, oh, I get it. Because <laughs> now you're on the other side and you have a whole different perspective on it. And you're like, oh, because now my work output went up, not just 2x, but like 4x. Exactly. If, and Richard, it's so funny because I have like consultation calls with entrepreneurs all the time. And I talk to you probably three times out of four where they're like, I know I will come back to you in three months. I need to fail on my own and I will come back to you. And every single time they come back and they're like, okay, I'm ready now. So, yep. Yeah. And I'm like, but just so, think if you would have done this three months before, like how much further your along, business would have been. Yeah. Like the <laughs> opportunity cost is just outrageous. It is. It's outrageous. And I look back at myself and I go, man, I should have just listened to him when he told me what I needed to do. But at the same time, I didn't see the map. I didn't see what was happening. And so like yeah. what you do, as soon as you hire an implementer, what an implementer does is like, you know, as a visionary, right? The entrepreneur type, like right. we have our skill sets and the lanes that we're doing. And when we're doing all the work, we're doing all of the work, not as good as someone who can do it well. And right. so when I said we forexed our output, what I meant was now we're taking all the stuff that I was doing not as good as I could, not at the speed or quality yep. or level that I could have and gave it to someone who could do it all better than me and faster than me. And now I'm working on just the things that I'm good at are, like I said, the output went up 4x. 
like yep. in two weeks. And I was like, oh, I see it now. <laughs> and once you've seen it, you can't it, unsee it. You can't unsee it in North Shore and you. It's a rear view, like, let's go. Like, I, and then you hire another implementer and take more stuff that's not your zone of genius off your plate. And it just continues, continues until you're doing only yeah. the stuff you love. And it's like, we're on one of my companies, we have four full-time staff members now. And we'll probably be at 12 or possibly 15 by the end of this halfway year point in this year. Wow. For our growth, thing, growth things. And a lot of that's just it's understanding that we can scale with people and we can make a bigger impact with people. And, you know, I tell all of my staff now when we get on our staff meeting call, we're a family first company. And one of our core values is we are, I, I all the time, profit first because we can't run a yep. company without profit. Our yep. team is, and, and our customers are third, has to go in that order because we can't serve anyone without profit. We can't serve our customers without our team. And you don't have a business without your customers. So profit first, team second, and customers third. And that's the way that we prioritize everything in our business. Good book, by the way. Profit first. Good book. It have is a good it? book. I have. Yeah. I've read it a number of times. That's actually why I use that terminology profit first, but it's the, you know, because you don't have a company without profit. So we do that and you have to have that in place. So that's like, you don't have a business without but then the very next thing has to be your team because your team is what makes your value that you're giving to the world possible. And then for you know, to your point, your audience is the solopreneur who's trying to, like, they're really good at what they do and they want to expand their impact. Yep. You have a glass ceiling holding you back and that glass ceiling is implementers. Absolutely. I say all the time, your Income is in direct alignment with your impact over and over and over again. Like your income is direct alignment with your impact. If you cannot exponentially grow your impact, you are going to make the same amount of money or you're going to make the same amount of profit. It, it, it just point blank. And you said something about the team. I love how it's profit first and team then customers. And what I saw in the workforce that I thought was really broken too, was that we as a society put more weight and importance on hard skills, quote unquote. So do they know QuickBooks? Are they, are they accounting? Can they? How do you use XYZ software or whatever your skill exactly. is? Versus. Dashboard. Right. Versus the soft skills that are compatible to yours. So we spent the past three years building out our matching algorithm that takes into account compatibility with from the solopreneur and our integrators. So we're really trying to de-risk that matching process in hiring someone as much as possible. You know what else is really, really fascinating? The whole difference between hard skills and soft skills. One of the most important soft skills that people don't understand unless you've been hiring people before is that showing up is more valuable than anything else. Oh, tell me more. So what I mean by hired people before, getting someone to show yep. up is like, it's the first hurdle. And the thing that I love about your market, right, the stay-at-home mom or the women, is they, it's almost, it's funny that you don't see it because you're like, why would you not show up? That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, like, why would you like, not we need to raise that bar. <laughs> we need to raise that bar. And I cannot tell you, as we run our e-com company, we're trying to hire people in like the warehouse stuff. Like we'll hire 20 people to get one to come back for the second. Which is crazy. 
And that it's so common. And same kind of thing when you hire people who are virtual workers, who are, you know, when you're, especially when you're building this guy, getting people to show up is half of the battle. And what I have found is when you get into the caretaker motherhood marketplace for workers, showing up is such a default for them that they never even right. question whether or not they're going to show up. Like to your point, you were like, I don't get it. Why was that? Yeah. <laughs> when you hire people outside wow. of that marketplace, you have to deal with whether or not they're going to show up. And it is crazy, but it's also, you know, potentially it's a cultural problem we have. Who knows what causes it? But it's a problem. And entrepreneurs have hired people before and they're like, I don't want to hire people I've gotten burned. That's generally the reason. I mean, the snaps for that all day long. <laughs> yes, I agree. Wow. So interesting. I can't wait to take that back to the team and just share that. So thank you. It's a crazy cool thing. And I said, people that I have hired and worked for who come out, the places that you're talking about, it's the thing that you have to worry about, thing that show up. And then what's interesting is the reason that is important and ties back to the hard skills is almost all of the hard skills can be learned. All of them. Whether or not you know them yourself, if you know them, you can train them. If you don't know them, you can hire someone to train them. There's courses to train on them. And here's a wonderful thing about the marketplace you're talking about for workers. They learned how to take care of children and learned how to take care of their parents and learned how to run a household and learned how to cook and learned. They have the skill of learning things. So all of your hard skills are acquirable. Yes. And now too, like those are the very obvious things that they're learning. But now it goes so much further than that. It's all of the applications online and all of the different portals that they have to use. So all of these women are incredibly tech savvy. And so it's amazing to me when every single day they are bringing to me different websites that they are learning, different tools that they're learning, different automations. Like, hey, actually, we can increase our input by this percent just by adding this tool in this business. I mean, that's what I'm hearing on a day-to-day basis. If you're having someone who's constantly looking on how to improve your business, like that's invaluable. And I, you know, I'm a sort of not so I do a lot of teaching and training on our for those kind of things. Oh, but yeah, the, love, it's, love. yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. And my point is, like, you hire someone for the soft skills, the ability yeah. to learn, the desire to show up, yep. and yep. their compatibility with you on the team, and then any of the hard skills that they'll either already have them or they can pick them up quickly. Yep. And you have your onboarding stuff with your team, and you get them up to speed. You well, show name up. a job that you walked up. into and you didn't have to learn anything. Like, name one job. None. That doesn't <laughs> exist. There's going to be a ramp. There's going to be, like, an onboarding. So, to me, it's silly to think that this would be such a pain to really teach people, like, how to do all of these hard skills when really you're going to be teaching one way or the other. And I think part of the misunderstanding on the entrepreneur's side is, I don't do X, right, or I don't want to do X, right, hire someone else to do that and then you're expecting i'm going to hire someone and they're just going to be able to like well taking it off your plate it's like in video editing it's a crossfade we're like you're going to be doing most of it at the beginning and they're (laughs) going to be picking it up and then they take it over it's a crossfade kind of thing where there's that training portion where they can take it over and crossfade sort of like time is dependent on what their hard skills they have now are and how good you are at teaching the skills or how good your processes are documented and as you get better, right? Like one of the things that I love doing is having who are trained on doing process documents. 
so we can train them. So the next Absolutely. person who comes in has yes. all the documentation and that cross period is shorter. Exactly. It's exact. It's, you're exactly right. And it's interesting that you're saying this because the way that it works for women to join our platform is they go through a certification first. Where we are teaching them how to be what we are calling online business managers, but essentially it's like the right-hand woman, the number two, the integrator, et cetera. And so we are teaching that specifically for coaches, consultants, solopreneurs, so they know how to minimize the effort for those types of businesses. Because you're exactly right. Our job is to lessen that cross-fade. How do we make that as short as possible? I love that. I'm going to borrow that cross-fade. You're going to steal my video metaphor? That's Yes, yes, I am. For anyone who's done video editing, it they'll understand that immediately. And you know, everyone's seen that, right? Where they have the one part of the video faked out and the next part sort of like faked in over it's a crossfit. Metaphor. So what I want to talk about is your superpowers. So every iconic hero has a superpower, whether it's a fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either e-skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over the course of your career that really energize all the other skills. Right. And the way I like to frame it is if you look at all the skills you've developed over the course of your career, there's probably a common thread that ties your skills together. And that common thread is probably where you would find your superpower. So what do you think your superpower is, that framing that you bring to bear on prowess? Yeah, love this question. I think that each person has many zones of genius. I don't think there just has to be one. The one that's coming up for me right now is I think I have a zone of genius of making people feel special. And I really like to and think I have a uncanny ability. I can be talking to a room of people, but I have been told that people feel like I'm talking to directly to them, even though there's an audience of... You want? 400. Oh, tell me. I didn't. I, tell me. There's some psychological reasons for that. Because one of my superpowers is the frameworks thing happening. love this. This is super interesting. I love what you're saying because it's one of the, it's a rare trait to be able to make someone else feel seen and heard. That's what yeah. someone says when you're saying you make it feel special. So there's two aspects. I'll go over both of them. First one is a physical thing. And it means it's literally, it's looking someone in the eyes. And let me give you an example of that. I went to Bible college and was trained as a preacher. So I have a mm-hmm. degree in And one of the things that they did with us on a regular basis, one of the experiments they did in pre class where they made us all participate, was how to speak to a group of people as if you were speaking to an individual. And we have this weird dichotomy in our world where we think, like, either we are an individualistic society or we are a community society. And the reality is, is that we can't be one without Community doesn't exist without individuals, yep. and individuals can't exist on their own without. Yep. So what's fascinating about that, that is you can see it happen in real time. And so they taught us this in Bible college. So the experiment was you get up in front of the class of people or your audience of people, and you can test this out if you want. If you ever, next time you're in front of an audience, it works every time. Tell the audience ahead of time, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer it. Ask you a question. And so you look into the audience and you look at someone right in the eyes. Just pick someone out. doesn't matter who it is in the audience and say, what's your favorite color? Don't answer me. Just what's your favorite color? Thank you. Hold it for me. And then just step back the room and say, who did I ask that question to? Raise your hand if you think I was asking that question. What you'll see is the person that you were looking at 
and for two or three feet around them, everyone will raise their hands. Immediate question. So now, bad. repeat the experiment. And what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to ask the question again. Don't answer it. Yeah. And instead of looking at someone, look in between two people. Look at no one. So look in between two people. So you're not looking at anyone in the eyes. And then ask the room again. Ask that question too. No one will raise their What? Or you'll see them look around at each other. Be like, were you looking at me? Was he looking at someone else? Eye contact is like a physical connection. That it's a real thing to actually be able to see someone and to make them feel seen and feel heard. So part of it is I would bet, I would put money on the fact that one of the reason people you feel special around you is because you are comfortable looking them and actually see them. So that's wow, that is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it's like light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. Amazing. <laughs> the second aspect to that is stories, and it's something that I've seen you do a really good job yeah. so far. Just in here is. Someone who understands how you see another person is by hearing their story. And so the way you hear someone's stories, people hear like, what is active listening? You've heard active listening. And people are like, well, it means I look at them and I hear the things. It's like what active listening means is I hear your story and I listen to what you're telling. And then in my own head, I go through my own story and I see where we have connection points. And then we exchange stories okay. together. That's what we're doing, right? I hear your story, I, I tell you and tell you a story in return, right? And we're exchanging stories. And then exchanging of stories is a skill that people learn, people who are good at it, like yourself or like me. And it's something that you can develop the skill, but it's a skill that the other person will feel seen and heard and appreciated when you don't just hear their story, but connect their story to yours. That is also so fascinating. I mean, now that you say that, it makes so much sense when you're looking back, but I wouldn't have articulated it that way. But now that you did, I mean, amazing. And if you listen to this Look interview you, at this point, you and I have been doing that throughout this whole interview. You're and right. That, you're exactly yeah. right. Uh, and so that's, it's, that's it's, good. it's something I teach people when they're like, one of my rules for podcasting, I have a 10 commandments of podcasting series. I'm actually doing with Lucas. And the last commandment is learn interview and we teach that as a skill because it's a learnable mm -hmm. skill is how to exchange stories because that's how you help someone be seen. So my point is, I love that superpower and to come by naturally <laughs> instead of having it trained, like I was trained and I was trained with my superpower, my sort of frameworks, really good at sort of, but it's a cool superpower to come by naturally. Oh, man, this is fantastic. I'm almost speechless just because my brain is going a bazillion miles per hour of like thinking through all of this because you're exactly right. That is the exchanging of stories. Wow. Oh, so good. Okay. So here's a really, really useful thing. If you start training your women on uh -huh. how to do that with people that they're getting hired with, you'll exponentially increase their results. And it's a trainable skill. So... Okay, I crossed my mind. I was like, okay, after this, I'm making a note that you go through and teach them how to do this because you're exactly right. Oh, so good. We're on the same wavelength. So awesome. good. So, no, here's my kicker for you. The flip side of every superpower is the fickle flaw, right? Just like oh, every superpower has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove yes. her bracelets for victory without going mad. You probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you've struggled with. 
for me, it was perfectionism. I struggled with perfectionism for years, which kept me from shipping products. It kept me from hiring people, which we talked about already, because I was like, they can't possibly do this because I can't. That's stupid, by the way. And I also struggled with lack of boundaries. And so I didn't have good boundaries with my mm-hmm. time. I didn't have good boundaries with my clients. And so it kept me from having the sort of discipline I need to actually really do good work. But I think more important than what your flaws are is how have you worked to overcome them so that our audience can learn a little bit from your experience? I love this question because I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately, especially now that we are rounding out our fourth year of Prowess Project. I was looking back on my leadership thus far and how do I take it to the next level? Because I know that I can't continue to show up the way I have been and expect to grow and have different results. I just can't. And so what I realized my fatal flaw had been over, I guess at this point it was three and a half years, is trying to do too many things at once, almost like a lack of focus. And I realized that I was doing that because I wanted everyone to feel special. I wanted everyone to feel included. I, someone gave me a great idea and I'd want to go do that, even though I had all these other things to go do. I wanted to help women, every single woman, no matter if she wanted to be, to get into tech, into customer success, into, into nursing. Like I wanted to help all of them. But no, 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 no. Like if you're every, you can't be everything to everyone or you're nothing to nobody. And that was the problem that I had. And so what I had to do in order to overcome that, and I'm feeling really crystal clear on our focus and our path now. So I feel like I am, you know, rounding that corner is first I had to get it into a mastermind group where I had the accountability where other people were going to look at me and be like, Oh my gosh, Ashley, stop it. You have too many ideas. Like just chill, chill, chill. So first I had to do that, but then I had to commit. So I changed the copy on the website. I changed the copy of the emails. I started and really, really niched down. I niched down two, if not three times to get super specific, solve one problem and not go after everyone. So that was my journey. That's a really important lesson to learn. I know I struggled with that for years. I'm still working on the more I get, the better we get in business, the more narrow we mm-hmm. get. And what's interesting is mm-hmm. you'll probably love this connection. The things that you do are very similar to the people that you're talking to in that when you learn to focus on one and look it in the eye, all the people who are close to it will come to you for the same thing. But when you try to talk to everyone and you end up in the one. But- Yes. And when you said that about the example or the, like you were saying, like, look someone in the eye and then you'll have all those people who raise their hand and said, yes, you were talking to me. That was exactly what I was thinking. And what I've also found that was really, really interesting when we are niching down and just because I got really, really specific in our messaging, we're still having other people who don't fit that persona come to us. So it's not like we are losing out on revenue, but now it's our decision. Do we want to spread ourselves into multiple directions? And so instead of us just saying yes to everything, now it's our decision to say no. And that puts the power to me, in my my opinion, to us. Yeah, because you decided to talk to one avatar specifically. One person. Yes. Yes. One avatar specifically. All the people who are close enough to that avatar are going to start hearing you where before they weren't. Right. 
right? Because you weren't talking right. to anyone. You were talking to no one. Right. And so nobody heard you. So it's harder to grow. But now that you're talking to one person, all the people who are close enough are going to see okay. you and hear you and think you're talking to them. And sometimes if you're really clear about it, they might even say that. Like, I know you target this person specifically, yeah. but I'm close enough. Can you help me? Yes. Right? That's exactly <laughs> what I'm hearing. That's exactly what I'm hearing. I'm close all enough. All the time. It happens every, all the time. And it's because you've learned to talk to someone individually. It's such a powerful thing. That's why I love the training Bible college about that because it's been a, so applicable into the business world and so super good. useful. So I have one other thing so you said good. that I want to comment on for you because I think it was really, really useful for you because it's useful for me. I also struggle with the whole, yeah. all the ideas come and I want to implement all of yes. them and you can't yeah. build in your project management system an mm -hmm. idea dashboard. And what you do with an idea dashboard is you have, say, so when we use ClickUp for a project management, you probably do this with any of them, yep. but we have a form, a form that I have for myself and then all of my staff has. It's like, when you have an idea, whatever it is, we have a few pieces, like what is the idea? What are some examples? How can we implement it? What are the resources that we would need for it? And then how does it align with our company values, right? Like for the kind of thing, right. where does it fit? Is it going to help us with profitability? Is it going to help us with our team? Is it going to help us with our customers? Where does it fit in the realm of our values? And so... At this point, I'm the one who mostly contributes to it, but I open it up to the team. They can contribute to it as well as they have ideas. Put them in there. Now, the important part is that you have the things you're doing now. Ideas are great, but ideas are only good if you execute them. So it goes into what I call a capacity defense plan. So you have your capacity, and then once a month or you know, once a quarter or however often you need to do it, you go through all of the ideas and you decide, does this thing, this idea, does it fit with our goals? Do we have right. the time that we want to take it from idea to it's a project for this quarter or it's going to be a regular part of what we do or it's something that we've decided that's not going to fit? And it does a number of things. One, because you get some time to sit there and ruminate, right? Because it's not like I have to do something about this now. You place for ideas yes. to go. They can sit there yes. and you can think about them and the team can look at them and then you can come back together. You specifically have a time where it's like, hey, what we're doing now is we're going to go over our ideas and decide which of these pass muster which of these right. are going to go into our recurring stuff which is going to be like a one-time project this quarter something better or which ones don't and so then the ideas get the because like one of the important parts of entrepreneurship is having that ideation, having that be a part of your process and when i learned that i learned it from layla over at process driven she's a wonderful youtube channel but i learned this process from her it was such a, a huge benefit to me to have this capacity defense plan this idea that like ideas need a place to live in your project management system so that they get dealt with because part of the growth of your business is going to come from your innovation and your strategy and all those things those come from ideas so how do you have ideas part of your process so they don't like railroad your business it makes perfect sense and again it's so funny how things happen because this morning at a coffee shop i was just thinking about of course all the ideas and I was like, man, I need a place to just jot these down and we'll decide what month we're going to do them in. And now we're talking about this on a podcast. It's so crazy. I'll, yeah. I'll, when we hop off, I'll show you my little... Please do. Yes, that'd be great. Thing. Yeah. And then just for fun, my son, a Snorlax that just finished while we were on our interview on my sitting next to me. So a, squishy, cool. a squishy, low poly Snorlax. My son's going to be very excited. So... Oh, that's amazing. Um, love it, love it, love it. So Fatal Flaw is... That was really good. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your common enemy, right? And your common enemy, every superhero has an arch nemesis. And it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. And in the world of business, this takes a lot of forms, but I like to put this in the context of your clients. Right? And now you probably actually have two clients because you're a business. You have 
mm-hmm. your women who want work and the people who are hiring those women. So you have two. You can put it in either one. Oh, look, my lights die. That's always fun. Batteries run out here. We'll go like that. Add more light that way. The, so you have two clients. And what I want to hear from you is it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome so you can actually get them the result that they came to you for. Mm-hmm. And you can pick either market. Mm-hmm. But what would you say is your common enemy? First and foremost, and you already spoke to it today, is on the entrepreneur side, being nervous to invest in employees before they quote unquote feel ready. And it's like anything, right? Like you don't get to live in the house before you buy it, right? Like you don't get to drive off the car before you buy it. Like you don't (laughs) get the benefit. Right. You don't get the benefit before you invest. And so that would be probably the first one. The second one is we believe a ton in quality. So we work really, really, really hard to vet and certify these women so that they can be your COO, even though you're not hiring them to do that. But that's the capacity they're going to over deliver to be these amazing, amazing resources for you. And we get a lot of the time, well, okay, yes, you charge X or I could go on Upwork and get this for $3 an hour. I'm like, you could. You absolutely could. You could. And that may work for you. And if it does, well, hot damn, that's amazing. Like, <laughs> just shout it to the rooftop. But it may not. And oftentimes you get what you pay for. And so that would be our, what do you call it? Friendly enemy? What, what did you call it? You're my common enemy. Your arch nemesis, so to speak. Yes, common yes, enemy. Yes. Like every superhero has their common enemy. You got yours. Hundred percent. It's. I love the thought too because you were one of the pieces of advice my dad. I was getting ready to a girl when I was younger. I was like nineteen. I was like, I think I want to marry this girl. And I was like, but I don't know if I'm ready for it. And then he said something to me mm-hmm. that like changed the rest of my life. And he was like, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never. Yeah. And the point that he was making was that part of the process of getting ready is taking action. You know, you're not ever going to be ready to be. You're just going to be right? never going to be ready to be a husband. You're just going to choose to be a husband. You're going to be ready to hire an employee until you decide to hire an employee. So part of the process of being ready is taking action, taking the lead. And that is, it's such a hard message to swallow until you yes. get it. And then once you get it, you're yes. like, oh, Right. And my fun little metaphor for it now is I call it, I call entrepreneurs like myself and like yourself, parachute builders, where the kind of people that jump off of the cliff first. And then we learn to build parachutes on the way down. Uh huh. Why do we do that to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> because deadlines. Do we love deadlines the thrill? Are, what is wrong with us? <laughs> it's the power of deadlines, right? Where you're like, if you have a deadline that you yeah. can't push, you'll absolutely right. get things done. So when you jump off the cliff, you're like, listen, I've got 900 feet before I hit the ground and die. I got to make sure I get a parachute done before we get there. Now, that comes with a caveat. You should not jump off of the cliff if you don't have the skills to build a parachute. Right? Great point. But if you have or... the skills or the capacity to learn the skills in the amount of time you have before you learn the skills or the people to outsource the parachute yeah, making yeah. in the time that you need it. And that was like, there's, there's some caveats there. The mastermind. Yeah, there's some caveats. But yes, you're exactly right. And it's, you know, it's whole immovable deadline thing. That's why I was like, I always love that because it's the thing that entrepreneurs really get paid for is for the taking risks. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. 
And where other people aren't willing to 100%. take the risks, you're willing to take the risk. You're willing to jump off the cliff and figure out how to build the parachute on the way down. And sometimes we fail and we yep. blow up our businesses. And we don't grow a great job. But you learn the yep. lessons and you try. <laughs> yep. Um, and that's, anyways, my whole point there is I love, I love that as a common enemy because it's so true, right? And it's not just something that you struggle with, but a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is this idea that I'm not ready to take the next step. In your case, it's take the right. next step to hire someone for whoever's listening. It's almost anything, that thing that you're vacillating with. Probably just do it, right? <laughs> just it's, it's Nike. Yep. I love it. Yes, yeah. Nike thing. was onto something, huh? <laughs> they were onto something with. So I'm just talking about the flip side then, right? So the flip side of your common enemy is your driving force, right? Just like Spider-Man fights to save New York, or Batman fights to save Gotham, or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, even if sometimes we don't want them to do that. What I want to know is what it is that you fight for, your mission, so to speak. I mean, our mission really is all about specifically gender equality in the workforce and making this idea of nine to five obsolete and proving that someone's background or professional prowess is not wiped clean because they've been out of the workforce for three or for however long. There's something called the motherhood penalty in corporate America, where if a every kid that a woman has, she loses between ten and $16,000 a year on her salary. And again, it's this bias that she's a mom now, she's distracted, she's not gonna get her job done, she's like, she's X, Y, and Z. And it is crucial for me that I shatter that notion and that is why we are building prowess project that is why we're working so hard that is why we are debunking this myth because if anything stay-at-home moms are the real hero and especially the fact that they know that they can have this career and raise children and find happiness and design it the way that they want it to be you can't have your cake can't eat it you can. You can. And yeah. I love the way that you talk about it, because you're talking about it from an equality of opportunity standpoint, where yes. mothers are yes. given the same opportunity. We're not saying they need to have the exact outcome, right? Because it's a different outcome to work no. in home with a flexible schedule. We're not saying be the CEO, right. show up 90 hours a week and not take your no. work. We're saying you should give them the same opportunity to see if they can fit into your workplace as anyone else. Right? And yes. then if they fit, great. If they don't, they don't. But for a lot of things, they they're going to fit and have that opportunity. So yes. I love that you're approaching it from that quality of opportunity and just show where they fit. Some other really fascinating, you get into that on the stay-at-home moms too. So what's interesting. So you mentioned that the negative statistic, the mom tax, so to speak. Motherhood. Really, yeah, motherhood penalty, that's what you call it. I was like, so mom tax, mm -hmm. that's not quite right. Motherhood penalty. I like mom so, tax though. Hey, go ahead. Mom tax too. And this is probably data you should look into because it's probably would be really useful to know. And it's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why my wife is at home. And we mentioned this earlier, mm -hmm. like the amount of money that she saves us by actually doing all the things that she does. Yes. There is a tremendous correlation for a married couple when the wife is a full-time homemaker and yep. the upper income limit. Two income families tend to max out right around $150,000, $200,000 a year in income. Whereas single income families where the husband is working and the wife is doing homemaking average $400,000 a year over the course of their career. Uh, and it is, it's a tremendous 
correlation that we have lots and lots of data on doesn't get talked about much, but there is some benefits on the other side. If you intentionally work on it, like my wife and I, where it's like, hey, it's a partnership and your job is grow the business and everything else. And my right. job is to home make. But if you know the math, you make an informed decision that way. There's benefits both ways. And so. Oh, that's so my, fascinating. I'm Yeah. I want to check out so that data. The mom tax. The mom tax is a mom tax if they don't, if they don't know the other option, right? And so they just let themselves get taxed that way. But you can, if you learn to focus it properly, you can move it into having husband's side increase. But it has to be intentional. And there's some data back that I'll have to see if I can find something for you and send it. But it's useful to at least think about, especially with the work that you're doing. Right, right, right. So, so you, okay, I'm very curious because you're saying that, okay, so you're looking at it as a whole, as a partnership. As a whole, as a amount partnership. Because, yes, yes, because there's a motherhood penalty and there's the daddy bonus. So it's interesting because as a father has a child, he actually progresses further, gets the promotion quicker and makes more money. Again, mainly because of bias, but I'm wondering if there's something to your point there when you're looking at it as a partnership. Ooh. If you look at it as a Love partnership, it. and again, yeah. that goes right back to understanding like how a community was really supposed to work. Totally. You can make these choices and you can have benefits in both. But I think the problem is we're making decisions without having all of like the data and understanding what the decisions were making. And so... Well, it's that. And then there's also... And we have all the that, biases. Then I also, <laughs> right. But what I'm also seeing too... A lot is like, why can't the mom be the quote unquote breadwinner or whatever we want to we want to call it, and the dad be the homemaker? And there's bias that way too. It, it, yeah, yeah, and they absolutely can, especially if you're looking at it in a partnership. And so I just I really like the way that we're thinking about this. Oh, I got a data project. Data yeah, project. data project. It's <laughs> worth looking into, and then it has the benefit of again being we talked about family first entrepreneurship. And we've talked about birth rates. We talked about all sorts of things. Like we have to figure out as a society how to make family work with growing and getting better, right? Like because entrepreneurship is going to solve our problems if we can't figure out how to both have family and entrepreneurship and work and satisfying work. We're never going to figure this out. So these are like really important discussions. I completely agree. But I think I think what really catapulted us was. And I hate saying this, the only silver lining in COVID really was this idea that people can work remote and you don't need FaceTime. Yeah. The only silver lining it was terrible. But I, I do think that that proved to a lot of people, especially small businesses who don't have a physical product, that, hey, I can save a lot of overhead and I can access talent everywhere if I think about work a little bit differently. Yeah. And I was like, we've been doing the whole work from home thing since 2017, since we started traveling. And so we were at the yeah. curve on that. And then like during yeah. COVID, people yeah. were like, how are you doing this? And we're like, well, we've been doing it for a while, so we get up a lot for it. But yeah, one of my other companies, the customer service rep, and we were having a hard time with the whole show up thing we were talking earlier. And we couldn't get someone from right, customer right, service. Right. And I finally, the owner of that company, I was like, can we hire remote? Because if we hire remote, we can access a worldwide pool of talent. And we hired, she was in my personal network, but we hired a home mom. And she has been one of yep. the best hires in the company. And the owner is still a little like, I don't quite understand the remote work thing, but she's also a really good <laughs> oh. Yep. Anyways, I mean, it, I hear it all the time. The message is changing. 
Yes, the message is changing. So, I love it. I love being on the forefront. Go now, ahead. I've only got a couple more questions for you. I want to talk about, for a minute, some practical things, right? I call this the hero's tool belt. And it's a practical portion of our show. Every superhero has their tool belts with their awesome gadgets, like their batteries, their web slingers, or their laser eyes, or their big magical hammer, whatever it is. I want you to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without to do what you do in your space. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for marketing to something that you use oh. for your actual delivery. Something you think is essential to getting your job done. Just a, a practical day-to-day -to -day tool to be the entrepreneur that you are. Oh my gosh, Richard, are you stumping me? I mean, there's so many. I think I'm more stumped of, of just finding two. <laughs> then. So what was the first one that popped into your head? I mean, the first one was Zoom. Because I'm interacting with people all day, every day. And the just the fact that we can have conversations and I regularly have conversations with Australia and I'm sitting here in Austin, Texas is amazing. And I can see them like, wow, like it's just phenomenal. Does it ever, so, ever like guess, blow your mind when you're like, because you, you go yes. back when we were kids, it was it was science fiction. Never. When we saw that it's science fiction, we're like video calls and like that kind of stuff. We're like, Psh, that'll never happen, but it would be so cool. I like have specific memories of me and one of my friends sleepover when we were like 12 years old talking about some science fiction book we were reading and they were talking about like having video chats and we're like, oh, that would be so cool. And we're like, it'd be like, you know, we were just building all this cool stuff because we you know we had phones that were connected to wires that if right. you wanted to pick up, it was like, right. hey, this is the Matthews residence, you know, how may I help right. you or how am I direct call? Like that was our life. Uh, yes. And my, my son... Too. Yeah, my son and my daughter, they're like they're 13 years old. My oldest one is 13. And when he first started playing with the iPhone, I like to this day, it's he knows now, but earlier when my toddler does this now all the time, we get on the phone with someone like an actual phone call with like, you know, her aunt or grandma or something like that. And it's not a video call. They'll be like trying to show them toys and like things so, like we're on a yeah. phone call. and they're like, I don't get it. Why is there no face? Like, why can't I see them? And we've completely shifted that. And it's like, I don't know. We've made the world a smaller, more connected place. And I think we are all the better for it. Yes, I completely agree. You know what also I think is really funny? When you were saying, like, I picked up the phone and you did this symbol, like with their thumb out. Oh, yeah. Pinky like out. Our, our kids don't know what that means. <laughs> no, the, no idea. Like, like, this is not like this doesn't look like the, the phones in their world. Like this, I guess, more would look like the phones in their world. Like just your, your yeah, phone. Like, you have to hold it up like this in front of your face. <laughs> that's even funny to me that like even that symbol like next generation yeah. i have no idea what that is. the other discussion that's super fun on that is like my son and i are having this regular argument now it's not really an argument it's more of like a lighthearted thing but i'm like you need to learn to type and he's like i don't understand yeah. why i need to learn to type because he's like i can just tell my computer what i want to right like Ooh. all the dictation and the siri control and the voice controls of it. and i'm like listen it's like, you're probably the last generation that's going to need to learn to use the keyboard and the mouse for I.O. on a computer. But like, you're not going to get out of it. Your kids will probably get out of it. And I, I love that you're really pushing the envelope here, but also you're going to need to learn to type because you're that crossfade generation. <laughs> wow, I never even thought about that. Yeah, that it's crazy. Because their baseline of technology interaction started with voice control. It didn't start with right. the keyboard. Well, yeah, it's funny that you say that because I, I can even like see my daughter, she'll go up to the TV and she'll want to change the channel and she'll swipe it, swipe the TV. Yeah. 
Right. Versus yeah. like using the, the control because she's so used to like a phone or swiping it. And we're trying to limit screen time. So before blah, 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 blah. But yes. like, it was just, it's funny to watch. You know what? Screen, the screens are a part of our lives that aren't going away. You need to learn how to. One of the things I say all the time is like, as a parent, your job is not to teach your children how to avoid danger. Your job is to teach them how to nap danger safely. Completely agree. So what age would you say that putting, giving them screens is okay? And I don't mean giving them screens and not seeing them for four hours, but what would you say? We started teaching all of our kids how to use technology from the moment they were. It was like my son, he's 13 now. He was like six months old. First time he figured out how to unlock my phone. Yeah. 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 And it was funny because he thought it had something to do with my finger, but it was a passcode, the original iPhone. Or did Right. I would type in passcode and would open and he would like to, he liked to look at pictures of himself. So he would go through little photo right. just swipe yeah. through them and he didn't understand he was like so you push the buttons like the keys and it unlocks like pictures what he wanted and he's like but when i do it it doesn't unlock it just and i try it four or five times phone shuts off put the passcode wrong for too long and then finally he decided he was like it must be the magic must be your finger so he would grab my finger Perfect. and put it on there and i'm like that's it's also not that there's an actual like passcode that you don't know <laughs> But anyways, my point is, is like, we've been teaching them how to use technology from the very beginning. And it's like, our kids go through homeschooling. And so like oh, that's right. online curriculum and everything. And we teach them in, to use the tools they have available to them. So like, when they get to tests and other things like that, you don't have to know the answers to the questions. What you have to know is how to get the answers to the question, how to figure it out. You have to learn how to use a calculator. You have to learn how to use the Google search engines. You have to learn how to use the tools that you have available because that's what's actually going to be expected of you in the real world. 100%. Oh, I could not agree more. When they have like problems, like problems that are tough in their schoolwork or even on tests, like particularly on tests, is like get as far as you can. And then when you get stuck, bring us in, right? Like we'll sit down and we'll figure it out as a team because in the real world, that is such yes. a more valuable skill. <laughs> oh, that's so true, too. Oh, I love this. Gosh, all this parenting, filing it away, filing it away. <laughs> and so we teach them to live in the world they're going to live, which includes sure. screen time, right? And so we talk about, we talk about this a lot. They hear things like all things in moderation, right? Because like, Right. Drink too much water, you can die from hydrosis or whatever, right? You don't drink enough water, you can die from dehydration. You need to have enough water, right? And what I've learned over the course of time is like, when we, just saying all things in moderation isn't quite enough. So we talk about, what I've started talking about is something I call structured moderation. And so, so I'm going to give you a really wild example. My wife and I, a number of years ago, we were in Oregon. And in Oregon, Oregon is really famous for weed. Like really famous mm-hmm. for weed. Like if you've ever yeah. driven into Vegas, Vegas has, you know, all the yeah. billboards as you're driving up that are like, you're almost at the casinos. You can almost spend all your money here. Look at Vegas. You're almost here. Like every 10 feet, there's another billboard telling you how awesome Vegas is going. Oregon's the same way, except the billboards coming from California and Oregon are like, you're almost to the weed. <laughs> Love this. Um, and we were never users of that out before because we lived in a state where it wasn't legal and when we started traveling we ended up in oregon for the first time and i was like well you know when in rome might as well do as the romans do right and we were at this really cool little it was the world's smallest harbor right and it's actually a really tiny harbor it's super cool but they've got like 14 shops up and down like the little gift shops and everything that yeah. are downtown and three of them were weed stores because they got more weed stores than they do coffee shops in Oregon. it's crazy so anyways my god i love this it's crazy so my wife and i were like 
well, what did Rome do as the Romans do? So my wife stayed in the car with the kids and I went in and I talked to the guy behind the counter. I was like, so I've never done this before and I have no desire to smoke at all, but I am willing to try some edibles. What do you, and, and yeah. he goes, oh, come with me, young Padawan. And he brings me over to the counter where they've got chocolates and they've got gummies and they've got brownies and they've got, you know, all the different things. You, I spent $250 on weekdays because I didn't know what to do. I asked the guy and I was like, so we've never done this before. What do we expect? And he was like, well, because you've never done it before in your weed versions. He's like, put all your kids to bed so you don't know how it affects you. And he's like, and then put on your favorite movie and then have one of these things and wait 45 minutes. No, he's like, don't eat another one. <laughs> but he's like, just wait 45 minutes. You're going to be goes. tempted. Yeah. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be like, it's not working. He's like, don't give in. Right. Just wait. It's working. So anyways, you can imagine how that whole experience went. But what I mean is like, you'll hear in entrepreneurship communities and other things that, you know, weed can make you slow right? Or alcohol can mess with your mind, right? And there are things that can be addictive or they can take you off of your... Same thing with food, right? Food can be... And, uh, you know, where you eat too much or you don't eat enough. I actually right. struggled a long time with not eating. I didn't know that. I just didn't realize I was under eating until I got a health coach who was like, hey, you're actually not hitting your caloric intake for your output, which is why you're not able to put on weight. So I had to learn how to eat more. And my, yeah. my wife and I, and the reason why I bring up the weight specific structure of moderation is like, we still use it on occasion, but it's generally only on sure. Friday nights where we're like, it's like a Friday night, it's video games right. and hanging out with the kids and playing board games. And it's just a fun thing. Like someone might have a glass of wine. We'll have a weed edible yeah. right? and it's a structured moderation. Right, right, thing, right. Right. Where right. you can have yeah. like anything, even the things that the society considers bad for you, right? Like wine, you know, four ounces of red wine is actually really good for you. Four ounces of wine good, a yeah. day. But if you drink a whole bottle every day, you'll probably kill yourself with alcohol poisoning. So right. it's a structured moderation, meaning how can you structure your life to have the things people think are dangerous, right? You're like, oh, your kids can't play video games or they can't have screen time. Sure they can. Sure they can. If they learn structured moderation, so you should both demonstrate that to them and then teach them how to build structured moderation into their own lives, right? And I know that's a really long answer to that question. Uh, structured moderation, no. I think, is the answer to the question. Oh, I love that. I love that. Another thing that I'm just filing away. Oh, 100%. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there.
Now back to the Hero Show. So, got two more questions for you. These should be quick. Your own personal heroes. Right? Every hero has their own mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad or even Spider-Man had his Uncle Ben. Unless you watch the newest movie, then it's Aunt May. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, speakers or authors, or peers who were just peers at you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? So, one would definitely be my mom. And I know that sounds like a cheesy answer, but she is the, yeah, she, I mean, her story is crazy. She had me super young, got married to my dad, finished college very, very late after going to four of them, and then started her own business, got divorced. My dad passed. She was a single mom, and now she has a multi-million dollar business and is designing her life in a way that she never thought was possible. And just seeing all of this, the roadblocks that she ran up against, uh, that she, her mindset with that was, these are happening for me, not to me. And so how do I use this to my greatest advantage? She would definitely be, definitely be one of my heroes. That's wonderful. I would be surprised the number of people who I have on here who answer with some version of my mom or my uncle who who really helped who I am. And I always loved that because it's a reminder to me of one of the most important things that I think was ever seen. I was 17 years old and one of my mentors was like, listen, someday your kids are going to have a hero. And if you're not worthy, they're not going to choose you. I was like, that hit really oh, hard, wow. even for a 17 year old, because I was like, he was right. I was going to have get four of them now. And I always am thinking <laughs> to myself, am I acting in such a way that the people I'm influencing would choose me to be their hero, right? That when someone asks them, are they going to say my name and I'm not going to know? And am I worthy of that? Am I worthy of being chosen as someone's wow. hero? And what you find out is that there's a lot of people, a lot of people who answer this question there. If you were to go and ask that person, does so-and-so think I'm their uh-huh. hero? They wouldn't even know, right? And so the reality yeah. is, is like yeah. you, have, you have people who are looking up to you as a hero. Are you worthy of that position? And that's one of the things I, I think about. Right now. So anyways, I love that question. and I love your answer. <laughs> I love that takeaway. I think I'm going to add that to the post-its that I have on my monitor because this whole idea of, are you worthy? Are you acting in such a way really, that you're worthy of something? Yeah. yeah. When they uh, ask, you know, one of my heroes, can they say, hey, it's Ashley? You may not ever know. Right. You know, are you worthy of that? These are such great questions. Love it. Well, thank you. I put a lot of work into this. We've done 200 episodes on this plus. So So my last question for you is your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, I'm going to talk about the top one or two principles that you live your life by. Maybe something you wish you had known when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Another, like cheesy moment but always do the right thing i think that and i know that the quote-unquote right thing can be you know different things for different people but in business it has paid me in spades just to not do anything shady even if people say or give me that sort of 
recommendation or you could, or, oh, you don't have to tell them or da, 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 da. And beyond business, even just in life. I heard this, that I don't lie because the truth is easier to remember. And I loved that. And, and so that's one of the ways that I live my life is let's just have respect for everyone. And in turn, that means doing the right thing, being honest, putting them, treating them as you'd want to be treated. Yeah. Having integrity. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't be surprised by this, but probably out of the 200 episodes, probably 219 of them, the response to that question is some form of and yeah. it's one of the, again, one of the reasons why I run this podcast, well, because we have this cultural misunderstanding that entrepreneurs are villains, right? You know, every children's story you pick up and movie you pick up is some variation of entrepreneur spills oil on ducks for money. And <laughs> that's just not reality. It's just not reality. That's not the way businesses run, because we operate in a world where we have well, to... Well, it's that. And you said, too, like, really, entrepreneurs are paid for their risks, the risks that they take. And I mm -hmm. think integrity is so huge in that, because all you have when you're taking this risk is the trust in other people, or you are trusting other people. So if you're not living in a life that is aligned with integrity, like that is, you are betting against this risk that you've just put everything into your heart, soul, blood, tears, everything. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I'm not the, particularly surprised metaphor. that integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I was like yeah. parachute metaphor. If you jump off the cliff and you have to build the parachute on the way down with your team, like you have to trust right. each other. Right. Or you're not right. going to get it done. Right. It's just not going to happen. And right. you're gonna all going to splat into the ground before you get the parachute built. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yes. Yes. It's really, really interesting the, the, how much uh, that's what's coming up for me is how much risk is intertwined with trust and integrity. It really, really is. Or else why would we do it? Yeah. yeah. And what you'll learn too, as you grow your business and grow your team and grow the people that you're working with is that the bigger your ability to trust each other gets, the bigger risks you can take. And totally. the bigger risks, the bigger value you can bring to the world and the more impact you can yep. make. So trust is sort yep. of like that key that starts it all off. Bingo. Bingo. I think oh, I love it. I don't know about you, but I think that is a perfect place to put a bow on the interview. Be like, <laughs> that's where we'll wrap it. <laughs> so, really, I do. Really I love this. I do finish every interview with a simple challenge. I call it the Heroes Challenge, and I do this to help get mm -hmm. access to new stories I might not otherwise find on my own. So, the question is simple: Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine, and why do you think they should come on our show and share their story? First person that comes to mind. First person that comes to mind for me, her name is Bree. She had a women-owned marketplace, meaning all the shops were women-owned. And she decided to sunset it last year. And so I always think that it's really, really valuable when entrepreneurs share that story of, hey, what was that like? Because one thing, she, and not to steal her thunder, but one thing that she says is, I'm an entrepreneur for life. That's just one chapter. So I think she would be a really good person to have on there. Awesome. I love that. It's like we have we have had stories, everything from the startups to big, you know, five hundred million dollar a year companies to people who have been you know, like you and I who are in the middle of our stuff. So I love getting all stages of the entrepreneurship story and really telling it because again, our goal is to change the story. So Yep. Oh, I love it. Yes. Thank you for that. We'll reach out afterwards and see if we can get them to come on and say hi. They don't yeah. always come and say hi, but when they do, we get really good stories out of it. But 
in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So as we close our analogous to that is where can people find you if they want your help in the future, right? Where can they light up the best awesome. signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Ashley, I would like to either, you know, be a work from home mom, or I need the implementers and I need your help. So I think where can they go? And then who are the right types of people to raise their hands and actually light up the best signal and ask for your help? I love it. So on the entrepreneur side, these are solopreneurs. Typically, it's coaches or consultants, really subject matter experts who have an online business and want to keep doing what they love and don't want to run the business. So on that side, you can head to prowessproject.com and find resources and how to get us there. And then if you are, you don't have to be a mom or a caregiver, but if you are someone who is interested in being this idea of an integrator, implementer, or what we call an online business manager and running the business for one of these subject matter experts. Again, head over to prowessproject.com and we are at Prowess Project on all social channels and you can hit me up on LinkedIn, what have you. So please, please come say hello. We'd love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on and sharing your story with us today. It was a fascinating conversation. I always love it when they go a little bit over because we generally means we got into good stuff. So thank you for that. And 100%. do you have final words of wisdom for my audience for hit the stop record button? Final words of wisdom. What's coming up is just the, the just do it. And I know it's all entrepreneurs on the phone, but if you are on the line, but if you do have a big problem that you're trying to solve, or if there's something that you're waiting, just always remember about the opportunity cost of e either starting or whatever it is. That has been a huge thing for me lately is what is the opportunity cost of not acting? And the fact that you said, just do it, it's just, that for me was what I needed to hear too. Perfect. Thank you very much for coming on today, Ashley. I appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thank you.